0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to Creator Support, the show where we answer your questions about the business of being a creator. Today on the show, we're talking about Kai Sanat and his rise to becoming the number one Twitch
1: streamer. We're also going to be talking about the future of podcasts on YouTube, whether or not we delete negative comments. And lastly, we're going to finish with a video question about how to take short form videos and turn them into long
0: form content. All right. If you make it to the deep end, let us know. All right. Our first question comes from the subreddit and it is just titled Kai and Speed. I'd love for you guys to give your take on how Kaisenat and iShowSpeed have built their streaming empires out of nowhere at a young age. Very impressive to me. So, Kaisenat or Kaisenat, no depending one knows. on how
1: you say it. No one knows. I'm sure there is a right answer to nope, that. I doubt it. Okay, well, he recently became the king of Twitch, and he crossed 300,000 subscribers, which is an extremely difficult thing to do. Because yeah, and those
0: are paying subscribers. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Those yeah. are
1: paying subscribers. Right. And live content is one of the most inconvenient mm-hmm. in some ways because you have to have, obviously, everyone there at the same time mm-hmm. watching a stream. And that's something that Kai Sanat has proven to be really good at in his rise is having you know over 100,000
0: people live watching at the same time. Now, Ludwig held the record before. He crossed 280,000 subscribers uh, during his subathon. Which was kind of an accidental subathon. He was home after getting a surgery and was like, I'm gonna just stream. And, you know, like you guys can control if the time goes up, if mm-hmm. I have to keep streaming. If you guys subscribe, then the time goes up. And that ended up in him breaking the record, not by intention. With Kai, he kind of intentionally set out for a subathon with the mission you know, of, of, I think, pushing the subscriber goal. So this was like a conversation that happened, and then it did happen. It was incredible. 300,000-plus subscribers, by the way, at 499 That's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a totally different business. It's a, it's a different business,
1: yeah. It's pretty wild. So to break down how he was able to cross this milestone so quickly, I think there's a few reasons. First thing I'll say is, you know, the question read how was he able to do this at such a young age. And while he may seem like an overnight success, he has been creating content online since he was a really little kid, like yeah. making skits mm-hmm. on Facebook and then taking it to Instagram, mm-hmm. launching a YouTube channel, and then coming over to Twitch. And even when it comes to his subathon, one of the things that made it really interesting was that it was extremely programmed. Like he had yep. producers who were coming up with all different types of scenarios that would make it entertaining, whether it was a Hot one style segment or uh, doing, like, his version of The Bachelor mm-hmm. or having cameos like KSI and Benny Blanco. Like, there was a lot happening, and even that was something that he's been learning how to do and implementing, you know, before doing the subathon. He would do 24-hour streams that were produced like this. Mm-hmm. So he has experience in creating a scenario where he can stream for
0: a long period of time and have new and interesting things happening. I think the short answer is like, I've never watched a Kai Sinat or iShowSpeed live stream. Kai Sinat, iShowSpeed, Aiden Ross, never seen a stream, mm-hmm. ever. Seen tons of content from those guys. It's flooding our feeds, right? And I think it's, it's because the way that streamers are operating right now is filming live clips, filming a series of live clips. Mm-hmm. One thing that Ludwig said was like his subathon was pretty boring. He said what people talk about when it comes to his subathon is how much money he made. No one really talks about what happened in the subathon because it was pretty boring. Because Ludwig in particular didn't really program yeah, he didn't it in the same for. way that Kai did. Right. Essentially, there's, there's three things that happen in streaming outside of the live. The live can be four hours, eight hours, 24 hours, whatever. But what happens is you have clips which is the actual streamer cutting out clips and putting them on their own platforms. Then you have VODs, right? Which is like the full replay of the live. And then you have uh, reposts, which is like someone else clipping out your content and putting them across. What Kai has done really well, I think is programmed, like you mentioned, for all of those things. So he has a clip of him trying on an Iron Man suit, right? Now that goes on his Kai Senat live channel. It goes across social. And now you're kind of like, I'm interested in the context of how this all happened. So I'll go back and watch the VOD, which is the full-length replay of the live. Mm -hmm. And that also happens with other people becoming so attached to these streamers that they're actually clipping out their content and pumping them across social as well. So like the actual live stream is, although a lot of people are watching it, it's the least watched thing they do. Mm -hmm. It's the clips, the replays, and the reposts that people are engaging with. And that makes... Kai Sinat, and iShowSpeed, some of the most prevalent creators on any platform today, even if you don't watch their lives.
1: Yeah, because 100,000 people watching live is a lot when it comes to
0: live. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of online viewership... Yeah, it's not It's not a ton. Yeah, it's really yeah. not a ton. But if you look at the the YouTube channel, Kai Sinat Live, which is all of his clips, and you look at how many clips come out, it's pretty insane. Like, it's, it's you know, 10, 15, 20 clips... Um, in a row that are getting uploaded. It reminds me of when Ludwig did his chess boxing event mm-hmm. and that was live and a ton of people were watching it live, but all the the boxing matches were clipped out like in real time and put up and those gained a ton of viewership. Mm-hmm. And I think that this world, this generation, even traditional media is following this right now. Saturday night live. It's live. Yeah. Do you watch it live? No, you watch the clips on Instagram or YouTube or Twitter when something is good and goes viral, right? Same with late night. You don't watch the full late, you don't even know what time that's on, but you watch the clips. And I think that all these streamers are building with clips in mind. They're even probably saying things that they know other people will clip. They're, you know, doing actions that they know other people will clip. They're knowing when they're going to clip, like everything comes down to clips. I mean, if you look at his YouTube channel, the amount of what looked
1: like produced videos that have come out in the last right, two right. weeks is unreal. Mm-hmm. But it's just because he's put himself in positions for interesting things to happen live yeah. so that he can then have videos that come out of it. Like, you look at his channel, it seems like every single type of YouTube video you could possibly make. Mm-hmm. It's just that he filmed it live so that there's not much right. editing. Right, right, right. It's yeah. very similar to what we learned from Rhett and Link and how yeah. they shoot Good Mythical Morning. It's like, have a producer... And have a team that sets you up for success so that once you're live, it's just interesting. Mm -hmm. You don't need to spend tons of hours in post-production.
0: No, you're just, you're literally going in, out, there's the clip. Mm -hmm. And you're, yeah, you're live making a show. So I think that's like, that's the short answer to why these guys have been able to so quickly do it, right? The, The, like, longer exploration of it is, like, their personalities, right? Like, they are... They are the types of people who are naturally engaging when you put a camera on them. Mm -hmm. We talked about this with Mr. Beast when it came to Emma Chamberlain. He was like, that's someone who's naturally engaging on camera. And I think that when you look at that type of person, that's not every creator. Not every creator can be like, camera's on me. I'm entertaining you. Yeah. And if you are that type of creator, putting yourself into situations that can be clipped and that can rely on that, I think works well. I'm bringing this up because I want to talk about Emma Chamberlain's new podcast on Spotify, which is a video podcast. And she is sitting in a room by herself for 58 minutes doing a solo podcast. One shot. And I found it interesting. And there's a lot of clips. There's a ton of clips, out, many yeah. of
1: which she's not posting herself, mm-hmm. but people are just clipping out some of the moments. It's not right. too
0: dissimilar. It, it's the same thing. Yeah. I, I actually think Twitch streaming and long form podcasting is where the creator economy is moving because of everything we just said. It's like, how can I be more ava- more like prevalent and more accessible across online platforms without the heavy lift of coming up with ideas and producing them and editing them? It's, I mean, it's a little meta, but we're sitting here. Yeah, On camera recording a live show, live to tape, right? That now we're working on clips and we're hopeful that other people will clip us too if we say something <laughs> interesting. You know, it's like we're, we're working in the same direction. But even for Kai Sina, when he crossed 300,000 subscribers,
1: he then has a conversation on that same stream uh, with a group that I believe it's called like Boys Night. Yeah, it's his group. Yeah. His group. He essentially has a podcast.
0: Yeah, he does have a podcast. It just is a segment within his live stream. That's right, yeah. And then he can clip that out and then it's a pod. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pod, yeah. 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 yeah, he's part of a collective um, called Amp. And uh, yeah, I think like all in all, the clips also create FOMO for you to like not be a part of something. You know, like if you if you see a clip and you're like, hmm, I kind of wish I experienced that live. You know, that then it's it's just all this cycle of getting back into- Like, Oh, I kind of want to be there live. And if you miss it live, no problem. You can watch the VOD. And if you don't want to watch the VOD, you can watch the clip. And if he didn't clip it, someone else clipped it. It's like Mm -hmm. all the content is available. Um, now I don't know what this is doing for creative work on the internet. Like the fact that this is like very strategic, right? It's like a very strategic thing to do. It's, it's a way to get out more content, more effectively, more efficiently. Um, And I just wonder, like, I'm coming fresh off of listening to Emma Chamberlain's podcast about creativity and her asking the question of, has every creative thing been done? Like, has, has, has every creative thing been done on the internet? And are we now just at a point where you want to see a specific personality do a thing you've already seen before? That's a good question. I mean, it's a version of what has been done
1: before. Yeah. Right. When Kai Sinat does Hot Ones or he does The Bachelor. Sure. It's a version of what's been done before, but never done by him mm-hmm. and never within the context of a subathon where there's this overarching narrative of I'm also trying to break this yeah. essentially world record. Yeah. So uh, there are multiple things happening and it is a different product,
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though it is recycling concepts yeah. that are already out there.
0: Yeah, true. I'd love to have Kai in here on the show. Kai, this is an open call out for you. Uh, we'd love to get your perspective on all of this because I think the world of of streaming, for me, feels like the old school world of the radio. Like when I would go to school in the morning, I would turn on K-Rock, right? Mm-hmm. And I would listen to Kevin and Bean. <laughs> Do you remember them? No. No? Okay. No, so that's a hard pass. Th- these guys would talk for hours in the morning and you would just flip it on and hear them chat. And there were segments. There was First name Bean? P- Come on. So- Kevin and Bean would just talk about like whatever. And then there was produced segments. There'd be call-ins and pranks. And like, it's the same thing that's happening on Twitch now. Um, The thing that didn't exist back then was the ability to very simply be like, that was funny. I'm going to put that on my own platform (laughs) and send to my friends. So yeah, I'd love to get Kai's perspective on this. Or if any of you guys have perspective on this, Like, again, I have never really sat and watched a full live stream, but I see their clips all the time. I think the interesting
1: thing when you watch Kai Sinat cross three hundred thousand subscribers mm-hmm. on Twitch, it is like a world record. Mm-hmm. It feels like the world championship mm-hmm. of some league. We don't really have that on Instagram. We don't have that on YouTube. Yeah. You know, who who's who's I think I felt who has like- the most amount of followers on Instagram? Cristiano Ronaldo? Yeah, or, you know, like or when, messy or, or Kylie, like yeah. When someone crosses that, you're not watching live and it doesn't but there's feel- there's no community to that, yeah. That's what, on Twitch, there's such a community of yeah. all of these creators watching as it's happening, commenting mm-hmm. on it. They all know each other. Yeah. It, it's probably the most tight-knit community, streamers
0: in general. For sure, yeah. I mean, Kai said um, on a podcast that I was listening to, he was like, Twitch audiences are a different breed. Like when he moved from YouTube and Facebook to Twitch, he was like- that's a different kind of loyalty. They're spending money, they're spending like eight hours with you potentially. Like that is a very deep relationship that you have with the creator um, that then creates moments of celebration that are like, you feel like you're a part of it. And again, if you're clipping Kai and you know pumping him out on social, you are a part of it. You are mm-hmm. supporting the mission. And so I think that's like, uh, almost like video gamey feel To Twitch where you have control over what's going on. You have control in the chat. You have control over like promoting your favorite streamer. You have control because you're paying them directly. Like there is a completely different Mm -hmm. relationship between audiences um, and Twitch streamers. I think there's an interesting component
1: with Kai too, where, you know, he brings his family on the stream. He's called his mom after certain milestones and gotten really emotional. This is a guy who, you know, has spent time growing up in shelters Mm. And is now reaching a level of financial stability that is like- Oh, unheard of. Unheard of. It's an unbelievable rise. Yeah. And he doesn't hold back from sharing, you know? And obviously Mm -hmm. his audience knows that this is more than hitting some metric. Yeah. You know, this is taking care of himself, his family, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in a way that maybe they weren't sure they were going to be taken care of. Yeah. And that adds this whole other narrative Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that you don't always see with- Someone who's rising in
0: popularity on social media yeah did you see Drake's comment to him yeah, so Drake commented that twitch should pay him fifty million dollars to motivate the kids and you know there's been a couple of other streamers who have who have echoed that being like twitch you kind of need to to acknowledge this and there's been there's been a history of people feeling like twitch doesn't acknowledge Kai mm-hmm. um, for various reasons they did tweet out you know when he crossed congratulating him but Twitch has gone through a lot of ups and downs when it comes to their relationships with creators. You know, Ludwig also tweeted about this saying like, you kind of got to do something here, otherwise he's going to jump ship, right? Mm -hmm. I just wonder if big, big creators are just not even in Twitch's best interest because they're too scary for Twitch. Like it's too loud when they leave. I think big creators are nerve wracking for every platform. platform. It doesn't matter if it's Twitch or YouTube
1: or Instagram they feel liable for whatever happens right. on the platform. Yeah, that's true. They're always concerned about bad press. Mm-hmm. So their favorite creators are most likely the ones that have tons of checks and balances. Yeah. You know, The mm-hmm. Tonight Show is a great creator for YouTube because they're extremely safe. Yeah, and they're yeah, continuing yeah. And, to pump and, out consistent
0: yeah. content. And they have a
1: history of uh, playing to advertisers. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Someone like Kai or you and I... Anyone that doesn't have the same checks and balances, sure, like we potentially could do anything, say anything, yeah. True. And streamers are on one end of the spectrum where they are live, yeah. They they, they do say they anything. do, they yeah, say and anything. they get
0: themselves caught in a lot of controversy,
1: as of course. most people would when you're live twenty four yeah twenty
0: four hours a day, yeah. And and you're not only live, you have to have big reactions and and big things have to happen on the live mm-hmm. for it to be to create interesting clips. So. Uh, Yeah. The high level on this is that what we've noticed is that live streamers are producing segments live and then it's becoming very quick for them to go in, out, publish Mm -hmm. on YouTube, publish across platforms, and they're getting big distribution by publishing good concepts all shot live.
1: And Kai Sinat did it to a degree that I don't think we've ever seen before.
0: Yeah, and with a personality that matches that energy, right? And a frequency yeah. that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Did you see I Show speed in the um, Sidemen football match? No. Charity football match? He was so entertaining. Like, he's just a pure entertainer. And I think that, you know, that breed of, like, theatrical personality fits really well into streaming because um, they don't need much editing to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. So... I think it's important to like look at yourself on a spectrum of where you lie on that. You know, from a from a creator standpoint, there's a lot of other creators who are like, you know, they they need more like, you know, thoughtful writing. They need more editing. They need more like, mm-hmm. you know, time to spend, and they can't control a frame. I think we learned that early on, and are still learning that that it's harder for us to like grab a camera and without much writing, just like go. That's not super easy for us. No. And I think. Figuring out how you can react to something as a creator helps that a lot. We got a lot of questions. I posted on Twitter being like, what are, what are some of the biggest problems you're facing as a creator right now? And there's a lot of people who talked about like, you know, that kind of failure to start. Um, filming in public was another one. And just like getting content off the ground. And I think the thing that I would suggest, and it, it goes in line with the streaming concept, is um, finding something to react to. You know, streamers are reacting to chat. They're reacting to concepts. You and I in this format are reacting to each other, reacting to questions. Like find something that you can react to to build your confidence on camera. Before we get to the next question. Yeah. I've heard that you have a gripe. I do have a gripe, yeah. I'm interested in reacting to it. Okay, all right. Um, so you know when you, you know, get the check at a restaurant. Yeah. And it gives you a total. So let's say it says 42.97 is your total. And then underneath, it has three options for tipping, 18%, 20%, 25%. Under 18%, it says, you know, 625 and then whatever for the other ones. My gripe is when they don't do the math for you and tell you what that would add to, because some checks do that. Hmm. And then you have to just be like, what's 4297 plus 625? And you're sitting there and you're like, I don't remember how to do this math. And now I have to round up. You've just created a scenario where I'm just rounding up so that I can just do this math quickly and get out of here. Couldn't you take out your phone and use the calculator? And You can. The, in this specific scenario where I was upset, it's one of those line restaurants So you order at the counter and there's a line behind me. Hmm. And now I'm feeling pressure. So I'm not going to take out my phone and do a calculation in Got front it. of everybody, you okay. know? I'm going to round up and, you know. So I think the root of this
1: gripe is, is not... The way that the the bill was presented, it's actually
0: the environment that you have to order in. It's yeah, the pressure. That's true. But they your- do it on purpose. The, the whole, the whole like big tipping is really doing all of this on purpose right now. As in the big tipping industry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Separate tipping. from
0: the restaurant industry. That's right. Yeah, the tipping the industry big tippy <laughs> lobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what you have a problem with? Yeah, because even I mean even the iPads are crazy, right? Where it's like, hey, uh, you're you know you're in a long line at a coffee shop. They turn it around. What would you like to tip? Yeah. Yeah. How, which button are you going to press? Yeah. Show everyone how much do you
1: appreciate me? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Show everyone.
1: All right. Well, before we go further on that, I'll share one gripe. Okay. Just quickly. I sure. was, I went into a clothing store this weekend and I was wearing sweatpants and I didn't really know what I was getting into. Mm. I walked in and I could feel the judgment of like, you don't look like you're prepared to be in this clothing store. To be in this clothing store. Sure. And I could feel it because no one was in the store. Yeah. And I walk in, a little bell goes off on the door. And everyone at the end of the store just turns their head and looks at me. Mm -hmm. And then I walk over. I say, you know, hey, how's it going? Yeah. What's up? Check out the price tag. And the first thing I pick up is $700. Mm,
0: What store were you
1: in?
0: (laughs) Did you end up in like Gucci or something? (laughs) This was a
1: store in Silver Lake. (laughs) Okay. And they have a lot of neutral tones. Yeah. That's when you know. When they coordinate and everything's neutral tones. Sure. And I think that... Retail stores should have a rating the same way that a restaurant has a rating mm-hmm. in terms of the health code A, B, C. I think there sure. should be a price rating.
0: Well, you can probably the, find that on the help. front
1: of a retail store. That's like, just mm-hmm. so you know, guy in sweatpants. Yeah. Before you walk in, yeah. you're looking at a $4 sign retail establishment.
0: You're leaning into the sweatpants look, by the way, because that's how you dress Saturday, too.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's I'm, just, I'm a man of comfort. Are you What's wrong are with a weekend sweatpant? Okay. So you have a gripe now with sure. my sweatpants? No, no, Let's no, move no. On. I'm
0: just wondering, I've just... They're comfortable, and I think they're in. Or so I thought. This is what happens, by the way. This is what happens. What? You know how, like, you're a young kid, and you look at your dad, and you're like, when does that happen? <laughs> like, when does it happen? Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. So this question comes from the subreddit uh, from Atashka777 asks, should I delete negative comments? I'm getting some negativity on my last post, and wondering if I should... Let the people speak their minds, or if I should delete the posts. I will say from experience, mm-hmm. there was a time
1: when we deleted comments a long time ago with the first channel, the Lacrosse Network, mm.
0: very early Oh, you're on, right. You're right. Yeah.
1: When we would put out a video, we would check the comments in the beginning to see if there was anything negative yeah. and delete one of the comments so that it's, the hope was that it would sway the conversation in a positive direction.
0: I think a lot of times also, because on that channel we were, it's similar to, the, to, to our main channel. Like we were covering other people. Yeah. And negativity towards us is one thing. Negativity towards a, a subject that we're covering is another thing. Absolutely. And that, that was the core reason why
1: yeah. we deleted comments because we did not want a group mentality mm-hmm. in the comments going against the subject that had offered themselves up sure. to us to film. Yeah. Now the reality is, I will not delete negative comments because a lot of our comments are more constructive criticism. Yeah. I, I won't delete them at all. Yeah. But I will ban a user who says something that I find to be just like disrespectful or inflammatory. Again, about generally someone that we're speaking about. Yeah. Like I won't ban someone who's like, Colin, you sound like a, you don't sound smart
0: today. Yeah, yeah, somebody, yeah, sure, sure. You know, exactly. Like, that's yeah. fine. Say whatever I, you want. I think in, in our 12 years of uploading YouTube videos, I've recognized that to be on YouTube is to open yourself up to both positive and negative feedback. Like there's there's no world where you're signing up to be a YouTube creator and everything is positive. That just means you don't, you haven't like, your work hasn't gotten outside of the bubble. Yeah, Like once your work gets to a size and scale where it's outside of the bubble of people who are just like, I really like your work, then people are not going to like your work. The same way that you know, you could talk about a television show and some people will be like, I don't like that show. You know, like people have varying opinions on creative work. So mm-hmm. I think you have to accept the concept that there's going to be negativity towards your work. Um, but I will say, yeah, I agree that like when we're covering a subject and if someone's being disrespectful to that, like we will curate the comments for sure.
1: Would, Not
0: as much as as we did when our audience was much, much younger. As you grow, I also think you should expect negative comments to increase. Yeah, for sure.
1: When you're on the rise, you are underrated. Mm -hmm. Everyone looks at your subscriber number or your viewership number and thinks, wow, this was a great video. They should have more views. They should have more subscribers. And then as you reach certain milestones and viewership levels, people start to look potentially a little bit differently at what you're making and think, really? Is it worth that much? Mm -hmm. Are these people that smart? Yeah. I think you just can expect that as you get exposed to a
0: wider group of people, not everyone's going to be into what you're doing. That's true. This one comes from Scott. His handle is at not just an editor. What's the roadmap for podcasts on YouTube? Currently, there is a podcast tab in Creator Studio, and anything put there shows up on the main channel homepage as well as analytics. Does YouTube plan on separating these a bit more? Does the algorithm look differently? I can't speak to how the algorithm looks, yeah, looks for that. Yeah. For
1: that. But I do know that YouTube, you know, is not necessarily moving in a direction of catering to podcasts, they already have been like they are adding functionality, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can upload an audio file and Mm -hmm. it
0: will be hosted on YouTube. That's
1: different. That's new.
0: Well, I think also the addition of podcasts to YouTube music is pretty new.
1: Sure. They are adding new things, but the podcast community on YouTube is incredibly robust. Like video podcasting on YouTube is super really expansive. So many of the top creators have shifted completely to podcast format. Yeah,
0: I think what, what so YouTube is leaning into podcasts. Now, YouTube's advantage in podcasting is uh, by far and away search, right? Search and discovery and podcasting is a major problem. YouTube's opportunity is that people are searching for, you know, subjects, people are searching for topics and they can find podcasts. So YouTube now has youtube.com slash podcasts. That is a feed of a bunch of different video podcasts. Now, Adding the RSS feature to YouTube Music adds downloads to your charts. So now, like we see when people listen to our show on Spotify, we see when people listen to our show on iTunes, um, you know, Pocket Casts, all types of different. Now we'll see YouTube Music, which is a pretty big deal. Um, and that's audio. Now, on the video side, I think what's interesting is if the podcast industry started including video views or video plays into overarching podcast metrics, the charts would look very different. You look at flagrant, right? Andrew Schultz, flagrant. Like, I would assume the majority of their listenership is coming through YouTube. It's more enjoyable to watch it. It's a talk show. There's a new, like, whole new genre of podcasting that's happening, which is, you know, what a lot of people call vodcasting video on demand. If, you, if you've you heard me say okay. VOD a couple of times, it's video on demand. So VODcasting, which is like basically the direction that all podcasting is moving. Um, and if you add those numbers, you the charts would look totally different. Actually, uh, the Impulsive guys talked about this on one of their recent episodes. They were like, if you added our YouTube viewership numbers, like we might actually be in the top three podcasts. It, that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. So... I wonder if that will change, if everyone will accept that like there's a new, you know, form of podcasting, or if these video talk shows and vodcasts will be treated a little differently.
1: I do think there is an advantage to not having video
0: when you're podcasting. Huge advantage, yeah. Namely, it stays extremely low lift. It's low lift and it's private. Yeah. Outside of the charts. And and that's something that I think is really interesting to think about as a creator. The fact that if you don't add
1: video to your podcast, no one can see your listenership.
0: Yeah. Unless you add video on Spotify, then it's, you know, whatever. Cause there's no viewership number there. And, and Spotify is adding video again. Emma Chamberlain is exclusive to Spotify. Now her video is there. If you watch her podcast there, you can watch her on video, but adding YouTube specifically, um, opens you up to like, it's, it's one of the most interesting things about YouTube is that your all of your performance numbers are just out there, mm-hmm. right? As an audio show, like how many listens does like, I don't know, Joe Rogan get? Like people kind of know, but they don't actually know per episode. If it was on YouTube, you'd be like, oh, that's how many people have watched this video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So I think beyond that, there's also a lot of advantages in terms of like production and it's super comfortable yeah, re- to record without video for sure and, and remote we recorded when we were audio exclusive on creator support we recorded remotely and no one mm-hmm. no one knows like it's a really great advantage it's easier to cover cuts
1: mm-hmm. i mean dax shepherd with armchair expert oh he's cutting he's cutting like Big crazy yeah.
0: from my understanding yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you can't see it that's true um all right next question this comes from the bentist thoughts on the future of deep fakes and creator impersonations also how could it affect brand deals no longer have to go just tell them that you're down and they auto generate you into an ad could be even easier for us to make money and do brand deals in the future yeah it's 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 pretty wild cuz i do think that like celebrity endorsements is probably where we're going to see it first because celebrities are very particular about their shoot days so if if you know, a brand books you for a commercial, you're like, yeah, I got one shoot day, you know? And if they have to reshoot, if they have to, you know, change creative, if that day doesn't work for everyone, like there's too many factors when it comes to that logistically. So there might be a world where it's like, just get me a body double, put his face on it, and then we can film for three days and we pay a license fee. Very possible, probably more likely than, you know, we all want to admit in the short term. Yeah. I don't think
1: it will happen where brands will necessarily steal people's identities. No, no, no. I think that is something that, you know, even as we saw in the clip of Joe Rogan.
0: Yeah. That's not, that's so, going to get stopped. Have I have to get cracked down on. Yeah, yeah that's will sure. get cracked down on. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that there might be a world, again, when we just, what we just talked about when it comes to podcasting and video podcasting, Maybe there's a world where you're audio podcasting and you are able to figure out how to deep fake a video podcast. That's probably super realistic. <laughs> I'm saying that's because it's all probably happening pretty fast.
1: If you're watching us on YouTube, this isn't that complex. Like the frames don't move that much. Our right. bodies don't move that right, much. Right. It's
0: just our faces. And if you look at some of the deep fake technology that's happening right now, specifically in Hollywood, it's like they can, like actors can move around and. It looks extremely real. So, I mean, go look at deepfake Tom Cruise on TikTok and you'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah, everything's gonna change pretty soon. <laughs> if we could just
1: record this in audio
0: mm-hmm. and then use
1: AI to deep fake the video.
0: Yeah. Would you? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the experience would be like for the audience. Would it feel still like yeah.
1: fake? Would it feel G- yeah. Like it was lacking some sort of life to it. Probably, right? But what if it didn't? I'd probably take that opportunity. Yeah. From time to time, I enjoy doing this. Yeah. Here. Yeah. But there may be sometimes
0: where if we were remote. Yeah, if we were remote, say, yeah, there's opportunities. Let's just yeah. record yeah. remotely it, and it have feels, AI generate the video. It feels very strange to me. Uh like I know that it's a reality that's coming, but I am Maybe this comes with age, but I'm becoming very like, please don't advance so much right now. Like just everyone slow down. Like, let's just, let's just make videos and write concepts.
1: But what if it could take all the white out of your beard
0: and give, give me a beard? (laughs) I have, um, maybe this is like something that is not communicated, but I, I don't have an issue with the white in my beard. What if it could give you more white in your beard? That's just going to happen with time. So what if it could, it could give it right now? (laughs) Yeah. I, mean, I, I think it's exciting. I don't know. I think it's me getting older of just being like, I don't, just please don't advance. Like, let's just, this is fine right now. This is all fine. But I know that's not realistic. It's all going to change so fast. Yeah. I mean, again, I've been deep in the mid-journey discord. That's a crazy, that's a crazy ride. Like that is, that is one of the scariest places and most interesting places I've ever hung out on. Yeah.
1: It's all scary and exhilarating at the same at time. At the same
0: time. Yeah. All right, this comes from Drew. What's your process for workshopping titles and thumbnails with your team and testing them out once they're live? When do you decide to switch the thumbnail? When do you decide to switch the title? Our process for titles and
1: thumbnails starts very early on. hmm In the best of scenarios. That's a best case scenario. We yeah. start really early.
0: Yeah. And the idea
1: goes straight to a title.
0: Yeah. That doesn't always happen. Yeah, that's a best case scenario. Um, it's frustrating because I think there's so much that I would like to make and say without having to think about that you know and i think um the the process is like actually something you have no choice to do but to do and you're right like when we're at our best we our concept matches a really good title and is able to be visualized in a really good thumbnail and we have a meeting once a week with jay on our team Uh, who's a consultant for us when it comes to thumbnails, because we need a lot of help. We need a lot of feedback on that. Um, When it comes to switching thumbnails and titles, like sometimes that happens immediately. We typically make at least two options for a main channel thumbnail, just in case when we launch something, you know, doesn't go right and we need to switch. But we'll sometimes switch titles and thumbnails like a year later. And I think what we've recognized is that you know, the lifespan of a video, especially the type of videos that we make on the main channel that feature other creators, like, you know, Mark Rober just uploaded his Bed Bugs video. We'll likely see a bump in our interview with Mark Rober because general interest in Mark Rober is going to peak. So we'll take a look at that and say, is there an opportunity to change that thumbnail to be more topical or more a title to be more topical with this moment um, to attract a new audience? And so we'll look at like big moments like that. We'll look at CTR dropping over periods of time. Like if the CTR has dropped to a complete halt, there's no reason to not try and switch the thumbnail. Like why not? And we've seen that impact significant, like significant amounts of viewership. I think our Marquez interview from last year was one that we swapped the thumbnail like six, seven months later, and then it picked up. And I think that like, it's completely... Reasonable for you to look at your stuff and be like, "How do I repackage this? Given the moment, given some new information, I know how would I do this now with everything I know versus how I did it a year ago." Like, it's a really good practice to repackage because I think you also get better at writing titles and thumbnails when you have the opportunity to look back and be like, "How would I do this now?" Mm-hmm. It may even help you understand how you would open
1: a video if you're writing lines for yeah, totally. the intro of a video. If you end up coming up with better packaging, a better title and thumbnail, and then you watch that video back and go, actually, the the intro is not representative fully of what the video is. Mm -hmm. And that can also help you when you re-engineer your own videos. Totally.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's like great low stakes practice ground Mm because it's already done. So there's nothing you can do about it now outside of be like, oh, how would I have done this better? So I I think it's a great practice to maybe set aside one day a week or one like session a week for repackaging. It's a very good exercise. Okay. Our last question comes from Jenny. It's a video question from Twitter.
1: All right, what's up, Colin and Samir? My name is Jenny, and I'm currently a shorts creator who's trying to move into long-form content. So I'm currently averaging around 10 million views per short. And of course, I want to do the same thing with long-form, but I know for a fact that won't happen when I start. At least that's the goal for eventually. So... What advice would you guys give to a short form creator trying to move into long form content? Right now, my main problem is kind of figuring out the pacing and not being so fast in a long form and not being too slow because I'm trying to force the slow pacing because it's a long form. And then my other question is actually advice for converting those viewers. I'm mainly using shorts as a top funnel, but I don't even know where I was going with that. I think you guys get the question. So let me know what advice or general tips you guys would give to a short form creator moving into long form content. Thank you guys in advance.
0: Man, 10 million views on each short is insane, insane, right? Yeah, what world are we living (laughs) in? It's crazy that that's like, uh, yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, Okay, so I think this is going to be a problem that arises for a lot of creators trying to make the jump from short form to long form content. I think Jenny, you are completely correct in thinking that like, it's unrealistic that you're going to immediately make the jump to 10 million views on shorts and 10 million views on long form. I think we have to separate those two things as completely different styles of content and almost like YouTube shorts and YouTube long form is just as different as posting to Instagram and posting to YouTube, you know, mm-hmm. like they are, they are different. Um, there are they're different expectations from the audience. There's different. Um, styles of content, different subject matter, different things that work. So th- they are different. That's like number one, I think that everyone should accept. Yeah. And, and
1: when it comes to pacing along those lines of expectations with a short, you're coming across someone's feed and you have an instant to hook them mm-hmm. truly because they weren't expecting you to be there. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like roulette and it's like, oh, here's someone new. Mm-hmm. So the pacing often in shorts is quicker people are getting to the point a lot quicker. When it comes to a long-form video, you have to go through a title and a thumbnail. People are making an active choice. So I think that you can have some confidence in the long-form video to go slower Mm -hmm. because people have already made a deliberate decision to be there. Yeah, Not that you can waste their time, but from a experience, a viewer experience, personally, I want someone who's confident that that... I'm there and I'm not going away. Yeah. Like that's what I desire. I am at a point where when I'm watching a long form video and it moves at the pace of a short, I can't handle it. I'm like, you're, you're playing scared. Totally. You are editing as if Mm -hmm. I have a million other things going on and I'm about to leave. Yeah. And it seems
0: underconfident. You're editing as I'm one foot out the door. Like, and I think, um, I agree with that and it's scary. I I don't want to say that it's not scary to be a YouTube creator and, experience something where you hit great retention and, and a lot of people stayed and and they watched and it hit a lot of views to try and replicate that. You do end up starting. There's a lot of fear that goes into that. Like you don't want to get a 10 out of 10. You don't want to, you know, not progress your career. You don't want to have something that has low viewership. Those are, those are like scary things. But back to the, the Emma Chamberlain podcast, I said this to you this morning. She had a great quote there where she said, quality creativity doesn't beg for your attention." I thought that was, like, such a great quote and really made me think, and I agree with you, that in a long-form piece, if I'm choosing to be there, um, it it shouldn't, like, be begging for my attention. Mm -hmm. I think you do have to keep my attention. You don't have to beg for it. Like, you do need to, at every moment, give me a reason why I'm watching. Make me deeply understand why I'm watching the next scene and make sure they all connect to each other and that, like you're using great storytelling practices. Um, But to to zoom out on the shorts to long, we talked to a creator named Caleb Simpson. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, um, uh, that episode was really good because he talked about where he's successfully done that. So Caleb does apartment tours in New York City. He walks up to someone, how much money do you pay for rent in New York City? They tell him, can I tour your apartment? So what he'll do is go into someone's apartment and it's all within a 60 second window. But if it's really, really interesting, you know, he'll go, if you want to see the rest of the tour, I made a long form video. And typically I wouldn't say that shorts work as trailers for long form, but that's a great on-ramp to a long form piece of content. Um, There could also be something where you go, if you want to see what happens next, I made a long form video on it on my channel, right? And they could think about, are there worlds where you can play with your concepts where something's so interesting that I'm, the first sixty seconds is like that's a really cool story. I could be satisfied there. I'm done. That's mm-hmm. all I wanted. But if I want more, there's an opportunity to go long form.
1: Yeah, I think we have that opportunity with studio tours, mm-hmm. where we could make a studio tour that's sixty seconds as a short. Point. And if you really want to watch the long form version, head over and get that twenty minute experience. Mm-hmm. That's there's, super in depth.
0: There's probably an example. Uh, there's probably somewhat of an opportunity with the show of like answering questions in shorts. And then like a single question yeah. in a short and be like, and if you want to hear, you know, more answers to more questions, eh, it might be yeah, yeah, right. I don't nah. know. I don't think so. Or, I think, or, or it would have to be a question. Yeah. I, don't I know. think
1: it could work when it comes to interviews. Yeah. That's we have true. a piece coming out about Cassie Ho from Blogilates. Yeah, true. It could be Cassie Ho's story, inspiring story in 60 mm-hmm. seconds or less. And then. But if you want to hear all of the lessons we learned from her when we sat down with her. Right, right. Watch right. the long form. Oh, that's good. We should try that. We should try that. We should try that and report back to all of you. And we also need to run ads on YouTube for the published Press, our newsletter, mm. and report back on mm. that as well. We have to do that.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: We have to. Mm. I got a question for you.
0: Yeah. Are we in the deep end? Is that the question? Well, part one is, are we in the deep end? The answer,
1: yes. Okay. Part two. Mm. Should we have a diving board for the deep end to no. jump
0: in? No, absolutely not. For anyone who's
1: just listening Dangerous. for the first time and has just made it to the deep end for the first time ever, welcome to the deep end. The deep mm-hmm. end is the tail end of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of us put our our snorkels on,
0: and we hop in. Okay, now that we're in the deep end, um, there was something that was never on my Colin and Samir career bingo card, which was being in a marketing poster with Marquez Brownlee and Jaden Smith. It was strange that Marquez was in there,
1: you know. Cause yeah. like us and Jaden, <laughs> of course.
0: Yeah, us and Jaden are come yeah. hear us speak. Same. It's like Colin yeah. and Samir yeah. and Jaden. Yeah. You could almost <laughs> add his name to our so, name. So this is an event that we're doing with Samsung. It's our second year doing the event. It's an awesome event. It's like a, a you know small tight knit group of creators. We get to spend a lot of time. Jaden Smith's going to be there. He's part of the lineup. Like, are we going to be in the green room with Jaden Smith? I think we should prepare to be in the green room with Jaden
1: Smith. Okay, what and, are you going to say? By when you prepare, see I mean Prepare what to say. It's also our second
0: time meeting him. Do you think he'll remember the first time? No, no. no. We should prepare for that.
1: Okay. We should prepare what we're wearing because he dresses really cool. But what what does that mean? You have to match how he dresses. You always, yeah, of course. You just have to have your A game. When someone's like that, who's like one of the greatest of all time, and like really is going for it in terms of attire. you got it. Whatever your version of that is, whether it's a white t-shirt and jeans, mm-hmm. you just got to do it to the best of your ability.
0: What's the best version of yourself? Oh, I'm still figuring okay, that out. Okay. You're still figuring it yeah, out. Come on. it's okay. not, yeah.
1: <laughs> going to take every second leading up to when I meet him. Mm. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, this yellow jacket is
1: everything to me now. So you're going to be wearing that? Yes. Okay. Until I lose it. Is it the same exact yellow
0: as the curtains? Maybe. It's, it's close. Maybe. How yellow are you going to go? I'm a brand guy. You've known this forever. Like I'm wearing brand colors. I like to be like on brand with whatever thing we're doing. Here's a recommendation. You know. Yeah. One yellow highlight in your hair. That doesn't sound fun. One for yellow me. eyebrow. That doesn't
1: sound fun. The for yellow me. earring. That I might do. Okay. That I could do. And one gold tooth. That I also might do.
0: That sounds <laughs> interesting to me.
1: <laughs> All right, that's it. For the show today, we are going to be at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. We're speaking with Harley from mm-hmm. Shopify, which That's is really exciting. President
0: of Shopify. So if you're there Friday, March 10th, 2.30, come find us. Search us on the South by app or the website. You can come find us. Say what's up. Uh, come to the talk. We'd love to like fill the room, maybe do some creator support questions. It'd be awesome. As always, you
1: can send in your questions for creator support either in our subreddit, r slash Colin and Samir on Twitter at Colin and Samir in the YouTube comments of the episodes. Mm-hmm. As well as, in the published press, scroll down to the bottom, Mm -hmm. hit reply,
0: Mm -hmm. ask a question there. All right. We'll see you next week.